Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 29. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. None of the rest dared to join them. However, the people honored them. More believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mattresses, so that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might overshadow some of them. The multitude also came together from the cities around Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and laid hands on the apostles and put them in public custody. But an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors by night and brought them out and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and taught. But the high priest came and those who were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But the officers who came didn't find them in prison. They returned and reported, we found the prison shut and locked, and the guards standing before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these words, they were very perplexed about them and what might become of this. One came and told them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple, standing and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they were afraid that the people might stone them. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Moving on. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. All right, so Solomon's porch was associated with the Jerusalem temple on the east side. It was a covered colonnade where people could stand or walk protected from the weather and the heat of the sun. To the west of it towards the temple was the court of the Gentiles, a space where people of all cultures, nations, and religious professions traversed and could hang out. No doubt crowds were often there, so it makes sense to me that the early church would meet together often at Solomon's porch, a roofed place protected from the elements, and yet also outdoors and adjacent to the diverse crowds of Jews and Gentiles that would be within sight and earshot of their Christian community. 
Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I've spoken with a pastor who said that their congregation meets outdoors a few times a year. And like a community and public setting, it's a way to do church in the open, visible and within earshot of people passing by. From what I gathered, they wanted the message of Jesus and his transforming gospel to impact those around them in the community. And no doubt these early church Christians weren't ashamed of Jesus, nor of their community gatherings. They did nothing in the dark but in the open for all to see. Verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them. However, the people honored them. Their level of devotion to each other and their faith was maybe too much for many people to receive. And seeing what came of Ananias and Sapphira, I can imagine was somewhat intimidating for some, to say the least. They saw these people were all in for the cause. Maybe those who dared not join questioned their own level of devotion and feared the repercussions of falling short or simply weren't willing to go all in. But they honored and respected the community of believers who did. It makes me wonder here if the rest who dared not join them, mentioned in verse 13, is referencing non-believers, Christians, or maybe a mixture of both. Maybe some believers dared not join the community at Solomon's porch because they feared the judgment that had come upon Ananias and Sapphira. Moving on, starting in verse 14, more believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mattresses, so that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might overshadow some of them. The multitude also came together from the cities around Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All right, so what's going on here? This almost sounds mythological. Was Peter really that great? that coming into contact with a shadow was just healing people left and right? First of all, it doesn't say he healed people via a shadow. It seems to be saying the people had an expectation that they would be healed when a shadow passed over them. To me, this kind of gives a picture of the crowds pressing in on Peter, perhaps much like they must have done to Jesus. Maybe some were just superstitious and were mixing their cultural backgrounds of ancient world magic with their desire to get healed and, and have what these apostles had, or with their desire to receive a blessing from the hands of these men who are actively doing signs and wonders in the sight of all. Maybe others simply wanted to be close to Peter, believing Jesus would heal them through their contact with Peter because signs were being done through them. This makes me think of the woman in Luke 8 who had a discharge of blood. The story goes as such. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus goes on to tell the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace. In this case, the crowds pressing in on Jesus and the woman being healed, it wasn't the fringe of the garment that had any magical powers. It was the woman's faith that healed her. It was almost as if her touching Jesus' garment was like a point of contact that helped her to release her faith to Jesus. Now, James instructs in James 5, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Again, the oil in this instance doesn't contain any magical powers. It's the prayer of faith that heals. If some people were being healed as Peter's shadow passed by them here in Acts 5, we can assume it was their faith in Jesus that brought about the healing, not Peter's shadow. All right, moving on. But the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and laid hands on the apostles and put them in public custody. The Sadducees and the captain of the temple had already placed Peter and John in custody in Acts 4, remember? They would end up releasing them because they feared the crowd at that time, who had just witnessed a miracle performed through Peter, the healing of the lame man. If you'll recall from Acts chapter 4, the Sadducees had charged them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Peter basically said, no way, we're going to obey God rather than you guys. And so I can imagine that as the disciples continued to preach and teach openly and boldly in the name of Jesus, and as the church continued to grow, this just absolutely enraged those Jewish authorities. In fact, verse 17 says they were filled with jealousy. I mean, they were the religious leaders of the people. They used to get all the attention. People were supposed to come to them to hear God's word taught and explained. They probably felt that people were supposed to like kowtow to their every demand and interpretation of the law and revere them as examples of truth and light. I'm guessing as tons of Jews were being converted from Judaism to Jesus, the Jewish religious authorities were losing their following. They were losing followers on their Twitter accounts. <laughs> People who used to show up to hear them expound from the Torah were now at Solomon's porch, absorbing every word of teaching from the apostles while witnessing signs and wonders being done through these guys. <laughs> Maybe a silly comparison here, but this makes me think of the pettiness of middle school drama. You know, the cool kid who's the bee's knees, then the new guy who had just moved in out of state begins absorbing all the attention and fame at the cost of the former. It's like the whole Woody versus Buzz Lightyear dynamic. But of course, in the case of these Jewish authorities versus Jesus' apostles, it wasn't the apostles getting glory. It was Jesus who was being glorified and getting famous. The same Jesus those Jewish leaders had rejected and crucified. So once again, like in the previous chapter of Acts, the apostles are put into public custody. Verse 19 and 20. But an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors by night and brought them out and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. The Sadducees, who were probably heavily involved in getting the apostles put into public custody, didn't even believe in angels. <laughs> and yet, somewhat humorously, God so chooses to use an angel here to rescue the apostles. Hebrews 13.2 tells us, 
it's possible to entertain angels without knowing it. This makes me wonder if the apostles knew in the moment that it was an angel of the Lord who had brought them out. Regardless, they're instructed to go back to the temple and carry on preaching the word. The apostles were set free for a purpose here. Likewise, when we receive Jesus and the promise of eternal life, we're set free from sin and condemnation for a purpose. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And Titus 2.14 tells us that Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We can ask ourselves, what has God freed us from? And with that freedom, what's he now calling us to do? All right, moving on. When they heard this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and taught. Have you ever accidentally stirred up a hornet's nest and been stung? What's the first thing you do when you're stung? You probably run away from the nest to safety, right? Because you don't want to get stung again. But the apostles were commanded to go back to the hornet's nest and continue preaching. So what happens? Let's read on. But the high priest came and those who were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But the officers who came didn't find them in the prison. They returned and reported, We found the prison shut and locked and the guards standing before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these words, they were very perplexed about them and what might become of this. One came and told them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple, standing and teaching the people. These leaders were trying everything in their power to stop this movement. But it seems the harder they tried, the more it spread. <laughs> like trying to put out a fire with gasoline or trying to scratch an itch with poison ivy. They thought they had squashed the roach only to turn the corner and find 10 more. They were likely enraged, frustrated, and confused. The thing they seemed to despise the most, the spreading of Christianity, was inevitable. Maybe they thought Christianity was a threat to their seats of authority. Things were changing fast and they weren't ready for it. This is what fighting against God looks like. You can't win. If God wants to sink the boat, it's gonna sink. You can try to bail out the water, but you won't be able to keep up. You can try and patch the hole, but it's not gonna hold. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they were afraid that the people might stone them. Again, like in the previous chapter of Acts, it was their fear of the crowds that stopped them from beating up on the apostles. All right, moving on, starting in verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in his name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. 
There's irony in their statement. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. As if that's a bad thing. What all of us actually need is the gospel message and the cleansing blood of Jesus. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Remember in Acts chapter 4 when they had charged Peter and the others not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus, Peter and John had answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, judge for yourselves, for we can't help telling the things which we saw and heard. Peter and the others obviously feared God more than men, and he lets the authorities know once again that obeying God is their priority, not appeasing men. Have you ever been in an awkward situation where an authority figure in your life was pressuring you to do something that you knew was wrong? For example, let's say your boss wants you to be deceitful on how you sell the company's products in order to increase profits. Maybe you're promised a raise if you implement the dishonest tactics or told you'll be fired if you don't play along. How would you respond? Is it worth it to you to stick to godly principles when something big's on the line like your career? Where would we be today if Christ's apostles had decided to just cave in to the demands of the Jewish council? Like, okay, fine. No more speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. <laughs> we'll just chill. Well, God, we gave it a shot. I wonder if some ever just kind of timidly follow God, like half-heartedly, until an excuse comes along to jump ship and feel justified about it. Maybe that excuse is an authority figure opposing God's will, like a husband or pastor or boss or the government, that greenlights a course the heart truly desired in the first place. Maybe the way out is when things start getting difficult. You see, trials of faith are going to weed out those whose roots don't reach very deep. But for those who turn to Jesus for strength and submit to Him, the oppositions and trials of our faith only serve to strengthen us. And God loves to work miraculous things through those who choose Him. For those who have made Him their first love and top priority, regardless of cost. See what God has ended up doing through the apostles, because they trusted in Him and chose to obey what He called them to do rather than the demands of wicked men. God used a bunch of uneducated, dumb fishermen to change the world. The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. One sin brought condemnation on all men, for all have sinned and then death reigned from darkness righteous. Righteousness covered all sin Through Jesus' death on the cross Where He became a 
That was Second Adam from the Adams Road album, Book of Life.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 5, verses 30 through 42. Grace and peace be with you all.